الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا محمد صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وبعد My dear and respected brothers and sisters الحمد لله Almost every day except one I think or two uh, We managed to read some surahs from the last juz of the Qur'an, every day after Asr prayer, today Asr prayer changed to 6.45. Uh, so I won't make the session too difficult uh, and long, don't worry about it. But as these surahs are getting shorter and shorter, it's just like a few lines really in, one, in each and one of them. You do memorize, I'm sure, all of those surahs that are left. So I have only probably today and tomorrow uh, and then Sunday, perhaps, but Sunday could be Eid, as you all know. Uh, all, although the likelihood is that it will be uh, this coming Monday, inshallah ta'ala. So we came to Surah 101, Surah Al-Qari'ah. Uh, as most surahs in this chapter really talk about the happenings of the last day, this very short surah presents its own picture of what is going to be happening and how the scene will be on the Judgment Day. And in a way, of course, it's scary. This surah is very short, but it's one of the scariest that we have. It's another really early Meccan revelation, which describes in a very simple way the terror, the difficulty uh, of the Day of Judgment. So this surah says that people will be scattered and confused, just like moths flying from one place to another without knowing what they're doing, like without any clear direction. And he says, the mountains, which we think of as being so stable and mighty, will be no more solid than loose bits of wool or cotton balls. It's like, how is that possible? Mighty mountains that loose, being scattered around. Then sometime later, everyone's deeds will be weighed on a special scale in Allah's court of justice. And this is what we basically mainly remember of this surah. Yeah, we read Al-Qari'ah, but we don't always think about the actually what is going to happen. And Al-Qari'ah is almost impossible to translate really because this surah says Al-Qari'ah and what makes you know what Al-Qari'ah is, right? What is Al-Qari'ah and what makes you think what Al-Qari'ah is? And then the answer is actually given in this uh, Line 4 and 5, okay? Line 4 and 5 is the answer of what is the meaning of Surah Al-Qari'ah and this term Al-Qari'ah. But some scholars, they say Al-Qari'ah comes from Qara'ah and that means a terrible disaster, like some like big calamity when it strikes. So they translate Al-Qari'ah as the terrible disaster, but the real meaning is actually line 4 and 5, uh, the day when people will be like thickly scattered moths and mountains will be like loose bits of wool. That's what Al-Qari'ah really is. So then this surah tells us all of our deeds, everybody's deeds will be weighed on a special mizan, scale, that is in Allah's court of justice. And this surah is interesting. We have three places in Quran which mention like something like this. This surah we have uh, at the beginning of Surah Al-A'raf and then we have towards the end of Surah Al-Anbiya or Al-Mu'minun, I can't remember, Al-Anbiya, I think. 
where Allah mentions this concept, this notion, what it is. Look in the translation, I'll read for you. Yeah. Uh, okay, and as for the one whose good deeds are heavy on the scale, will live a pleasant life. So the whole point really is, it's a beautiful way of saying this, it's like a figure of speech. What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encouraging us to do in this line is add as many good deeds as you can on, on your own mizan, on your own scale of your deeds. The heavier, the more good deeds you have, the better. Okay? And also, you will have a pleasant ending life. And I really like the hadith, the, the hadith the Prophet ﷺ would tell us in some of his sayings, what type of deeds will, will be like so heavy on, the, on our mizan, on our scale of our deeds. Like, shahada la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, so heavy. For example, we really like, and he, he really said in that beautiful hadith, like simple phrase, subhanallah, walhamdulillah, tamla'an. It's like, it's such a beautiful thing for us to know that we can actually make our scale heavy with good deeds, providing our intention is pure. Really, that's how it is. And the Prophet, he said, sometimes we do so many good deeds, but we think we've done a magnificent, great thing. And then he says, there's a person who might read just one surah expressing his glorification of Allah Almighty. But he really means it. He thinks and believes that all glory and praise belong to Allah and no other but Allah. Allah takes that phrase, simple utterance of a couple of words, accepts it from that person and adds it onto their account of good deeds and that becomes so heavy on Judgment Day. And when they see, or I'll give you another example. This story is from the nations before us, but it is being passed on to us in tafsir literature. A person who gives a loaf of bread just feeds either an animal, but there's this uh, story which says somebody fed a needy, hungry person. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wiped out all of their bad deeds, sins, and accepted that act of generosity and kindness from them, just one and rewarded them as if they gave two mountains full of feeding people. Subhanallah. Why? Because they, were, they really meant it when they said, I only have tiny bit, a morsel of food to give. But that person prayed to Allah with honest heart. If I had a mountain of bread or flour, he said, I would make it into bread and feed this whole town, he said. But he didn't have that. Allah knew his intention was right. If he really had that much food to feed the whole town, he would have done so. So Allah rewarded him as if he fed the whole town. And filled his scale, his mizan, and forgave him. And our Prophet says, that person will be Jannah. So I really like this notion of you know, our deeds being weighed. And then when they are heavy, and how do we make them heavy? It's not by quantity or what we think, the measure, the scales that we have, that we use in this worldly life. In, in the eyes of Allah, it seems that is, as if it works in a different way. What brings the actual weight and value in our actions and deeds or sayings is the purity of our intention.
That is what makes the difference. So when you say Allah once, but you connected with it, and as you are saying that, no one and nothing else was in your mind but Allah. The reward is magnificent, huge. You, I can't even narrate to you, I can't even explain to you how much we will be rewarded for saying La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah whenever we said it, but we really meant it and we were honest. The same is when we started our prayer and we glorified Allah and we said the opening takbir, Allahu Akbar, and you meant there is really nothing greater than Allah, you will rejoice when that takbir greets you on Judgment Day. Like that. Subhanallah. So, but as for the one whose good deeds are light, the bottomless pit will be his mother. Okay, his mother means here main place of residence. So, <clears throat> this is how Arabic language is used. Like, where do we come from? From our mothers. <laughs> it's like the starting point for you and I in this world is our mother's womb. So, we came from there, and in Arabic they use that. فَأُمُّهُ uh, It means, أُمُّهُ means his main place of residence. Uh, and what is that? The bottomless pit, it's a blazing fire. But it, there is an indication here, like even the worst of places in the blazing fire, in Jahannam. Like Jahannam also has degrees. Just like Jannah is so many different actually layers and degrees, it seems like in Jannah there is the bottomless pit, the worst of places to be at. So here, the one whose good deeds are light. I have to say this, really, it's in commentaries. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have as many deeds there. It's too light because it's scarce. Not like that, unfortunately. What it means is that it could be one or two major, major sins that we committed and caused our destruction. It's not too many sins that you have on there. But we really hope, this is my belief, my teachers believed the same, and vast majority of Muslim theologians all believed. Sins that Allah f forgives us before we die, minor sins, whatever we call them sins, they won't even be on our record. They will not be there. Allah will forgive them and wipe it out for us, inshallah. It's called takfir as Yukafir ankum sayyatikum. Like, as if Allah takes away that uh, bad energy and puts it in sijir, as we explained in Surah Al-Mutafifin. In that place where all the bad energy and sins are stored. Allah does that on our behalf, out of his generosity and forgiveness. Otherwise, we will have it out of his... Like uh, justice, we should face our own bad energies and consequences of our bad deeds. But Allah is so kind, my brothers and sisters, so he forgives and atones for us on our behalf, so we don't have to suffer. And sometimes even in this worldly life, we don't also suffer the consequences of our sins. And the best thing is that we don't suffer from what we have sinned in the next life. Because the punishment in the next life is nothing like what we can suffer in terms of pain and sadness and sorrow in this worldly life. Even though to some of us the pain is unbearable and the levels of stress is beyond belief and depression is too much. And in the next life, the humiliation and the pain and the punishment is much more severe. So it does seem that uh, you might have uh, certain sins 
that will basically, the, the contrast is used here of heavy and light, but unfortunately will lighten your scale of good deeds, but busy the scale of bad deeds if the sin is enormous. A sin that, for example, requires a repentance. So let us learn another lesson from this surah that for anything major we have done, we repent to Allah. We really, truly, honestly turn to him and we ask him to atone for us. We seek his forgiveness to forgive us that sin because we don't want to face it on judgment day. So this is one thing. And the other notion really is, this is the most beautiful thing really you can actually hear from the Quran or hear in our tradition. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my brothers and sisters, out of his, here I can't help myself but say extreme kindness and generosity and goodwill for us, he erases our bad deeds and replaces them with good. يُبَدِّلْ السَّيِّئَاتِ حَسَنَاتِ Who does that? You know, like, if you hurt someone and they say, don't worry, I've forgiven you, I've pardoned you, here is the reward for what you hurt me with. I give you hasana, a price. <laughs> you might struggle to pardon someone, to forgive them. You're not going to reward them for hurting you. At the end, Allah is like that. That's like, no one but Allah can do something like that. And the closest to something like that is the Prophet Muhammad and other Anbiya and Rusul, but nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, and I think, mashallah, Imam Amir read to us last night this very part from Surah Al-Furqan, uh, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept our tawbah from us, forgive us, accept our iman, our good deeds, and then exchange our bad deeds with good ones. That is the real exchange stock. Allah, Allah. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do that in our own, on our own behalf for us so that we don't see sinful deeds, but we see them being replaced with good deeds, inshallah ta'ala. So in a nutshell, this surah is again talking about the, the terror, the happening of the last day. And line four and five in a way describes in an amazing way, the, the state of confusion that people will be in. But at the same time, uh, it tells us how the matter is serious. And then goes on to mention the actual mizan, the scale on which uh, uh, our deeds will be weighed. So we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to, to fill our scale with good deeds. That's all we pray to Allah. And to lighten as much as possible the, the, the scale of, of bad deeds. And maybe in conclusion, I can tell you what our theologians understood from this uh, surah and surah Al-A'raf. They realized this is again an act of Allah's generosity and benevolence. Because it's balance and it's a judgment. Yeah, it's a judgment day and it's in the court of Allah. Nobody else is caught. And he's just. But look how just and kind at the same time Allah is. When your good and bad deeds are equal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept you as the right person and place you in Jannah. He doesn't even wait for you to have one more good deed than bad. For him is that balance, isn't it? Equality. Once you reach to that point, you'd qualify to go to Jannah. Subhanallah. And people who don't deserve to go to Jannah straight away after this final judgment day, as the surah says, 
Our theologians said, yes, Allah out of his justice will place even certain believers, means believing men, who have bad deeds, isn't it? More bad deeds than good deeds. In the hellfire, but while they are being punished there, they are being atoned for their sins. So the time for them that they spent in the hellfire, until their bad, they have atoned for what they have had, sinned, are equal with their good deeds, Allah will send an angel and they will take them straight from out of the hellfire and place them in Jannah and then they will stay therein forever. So some Muslim theologians say like, really the main thing for us, because there is no end in the next life, it's eternity. The main thing really is to die as a believer, but being honest with that belief, not die as skeptic. Or I'm a Muslim by name, but I still have certain reservations and doubts about this and that. No, if you really died with certainty that the next life will unfold, you are meeting Allah, you came from Him, you are traveling to Him, whether you like it or not, inshallah ta'ala, you have every chance of the ultimate salvation, of actually being placed in the beautiful gardens of Jannah. So this is really the main lesson, I would say. Uh, and I don't want us to worry too much about our mizan and, and balance of deeds, because the intention really is key there, critical and the Prophet did say to his Sahaba like just be sincere in what you say and do even a bit of actions inshallah will suffice you because Allah is kind and generous so even our kalma shahada if that's the last thing we say but we say it honestly and earnestly inshallah ta'ala can uh, deliver us from uh, the punishment of the hellfire or the punishment of the next life okay the next surah is surah takathur means competition in increasing wealth. We already mentioned something like this yesterday, so I'll go quickly through this. This is a chapter which you all again memorize, but it's quite powerful. It's a warning actually to people who spend much of their time trying to accumulate worldly things, yeah? collect more material possessions. And of course, the Quran uses this concept of takathur, like a competition in getting more, accumulating wealth, increasing wealth, but also tafakhur, taking pride in it. The, you know, this you can read in Surah Al-Hadid. And interestingly, subhanAllah, and this is again a warning, Allah uses takasur and tafakhur in reference to wealth, mal, or amwal, and awlad. So it's like an asset you have like a commodity, yeah? you have a house or a car or a piece of land, whatever you have. But even your own children, okay, the children that you have, he doesn't want you to take pride in it in that way. He doesn't want you to have more children just to show off that you can produce as many as you can. He wants you to have as many children as you can because he blesses you with those, but he wants you to give them to Allah like this. So I tell you a little story, I'll be quick. One of the great saints of the past, he went as a child, he went to a madrasa, to his school in Baghdad. And his teacher was teaching him tafsir al-Quran, like I'm teaching you now, not in this way. They were reading Surah al-Quran, by the way. So they came across that ayah where Allah says, Anishkur li waliwalidayka, in Arabic, obviously, they studied. So that you pay gratitude to me and to your parents, Allah said, 
you know this surah, Luqman, the verse of righteousness, kindness towards parents. So this very clever boy, he asked his teacher, he said, how is that possible? You are saying in this ayah, Allah says, I need to pay gratitude to Allah and to my parents. And to Allah is my return. So how should I pay my gratitude to Allah and who deserves the gratitude? And how will I split it between the two? It doesn't make sense to me. So his teacher gave an answer and he wasn't so convinced, content, a little boy. So he asked his teacher to give him permission to go home. He just didn't feel nice for the rest of the study lessons. So he sent him home earlier. When he came back home, he didn't have a father, he had a mom. His mother got worried, like, why are you coming back so early? Like, did something happen? You got expelled, what is it? Like, did you have one of those jalsa days, prize giving, and they gave you prizes and let you go home early? No, 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 it was just a normal day. We were studying Quran and doing a commentary on this ayah, and I, I just couldn't understand it, and I asked my teacher, and he gave me some answer, but he made me sad. So I couldn't stay anymore in the class, and he let me go home. Okay, I hope it's okay. And then he said, Mom, can't you help me then with this ayah to understand it better? And then she said, what it is? Look, the teacher said, Allah said, I have to pay gratitude to Allah and to my parents. I don't know how to split between the two. So you either, she said, uh, give me to Allah or ask Allah to gift, you to gift me to you so that I can pay full gratitude to you. So one of you has to give up on your right. And then she said, well, that's a really profound question that you have asked. So then she said to him, oh, my son, indeed, when I bore you and when I had you, I gave you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you are owed to Allah. And to him you shall pay gratitude. And in that way you are also paying gratitude to your parents. And it is like that. So we belong to Allah. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi we belong to Allah and our children belong to Allah so we are really not allowed to have children with any other intention but for God for the sake of Allah and then the more Allah bless you with more children of course it will be a permanent endowment for you a blessing and a reward which is unbelievable but even then Allah doesn't want you to take pride in that okay it is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he gives to whomever he wills but there are certain responsibilities with it. He doesn't want you to accumulate wealth just for the sake of becoming rich. Is, are you allowed to accumulate wealth and become the richest man in the world? Yes, you are. Who prayed to Allah to grant him the riches of this world that no one else will get after him? He prayed to Allah, Sayyidina Sulaiman. Who was he? A prophet of God. Sincere, honest, and close to Allah and beloved to Allah. And Allah gave him. And Allah said to him, Femnun aw amsik Because we can't really decrease Allah's wealth, his treasures. It's beyond taking, increasing or decreasing. It's infinitive. Okay? So, in a way, of course, we are encouraged to work and we should work as hard as we can and make as much money as we can, as much wealth as we can, but let's not forget who gave us all that. And 
let's fulfill all the rights and dues that are in that wealth and in those children that Allah blessed us with. And our own health and our own wealth and our own time, etc. We have certain, you know, there are other people who have certain rights in our wealth and we have certain duties, responsibilities to discharge. As long as we do that, and that is why there's a very lovely scholarly debate on what's best, what's better. Ghaniyun <laughs> Shakir, okay, a very wealthy person who is so ever grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or a poor person who is patient, who is better, somebody who doesn't have much wealth but he's bearing the fortune that he has, or so-called fortune, which one is better in the eyes of Allah? I think both are good and both will be actually, they'll be surprised. Both of them, as long as they remain, they made lots of wealth, but they were grateful to Allah and they never went astray, they'll be high, top, Jannatul Firdaus. The same is with the poor man who didn't have much, but he bore it patiently and didn't complain, was not displeased with Allah's qadr, the decree regarding him. They will be both probably next to the Prophet so neither is good or better, both are excellent, as long as they stay like that. A rich man who becomes ungrateful and doesn't discharge the dues, may Allah help those people. I can't even imagine their reckoning. And on the other hand, a person who was trialed and tested, but didn't bear patiently, started complaining and gave up and went astray again, maybe the trial wasn't that difficult, but uh, they didn't bear it. So. May Allah help us all not to be trialed and tested by what we can't understand and bear. So, what Islam really encourages is a simplicity of life. So, zuhud doesn't mean complete renunciation of this world. It just means that you are fully in control of your assets, of your wealth. As long as that didn't penetrate into your heart and there is a competition now between all your assets and Allah and your love and dedication and submission to him and you losing a house or losing another car and losing some money here and there uh, that is all fine because Allah blessed you with lots of wealth he's testing you by that okay this is called Allahu yabsutur rizqa liman yasha wa yaqdir best rizq means Allah opens up for you, means he facilitates for you wealth from where you expected the least and plenty of it. Whomever he wills, he gives. And interestingly in the Quran, non-believers, he gives more. But they don't even understand it's a test. Believers can understand it's a test because the Quran tells you, the Hadith tells you, the Prophet told us. In that regard, prophets never wanted to accumulate wealth because they wanted simplicity of life to set up a different kind of example for the worst of situations, scenarios, when you are really impoverished. So if he could bear a messenger of God who could have raised his hands like Suleiman and prayed for so much wealth, but yet he had, a, he had lots but lived a simple life. Listen, there's a big difference between being a rich and living a luxurious life and extra, you know, being extravagant in things and having been the richest man, but yet living a, the simplest life ever. That was the example of our messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He could have had kilos and kilos of gold, I'm really telling you, in Medina, by his side. And loads of things. But he chose not to store anything. He chose the most of sim the simplest of lives, lives ever. But ever grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So we want to work as hard as we can, but never turn into an ungrateful person. On the other hand, if certain people have more and certain people have less, the institution of zakat is supposed to balance that out in a way. And then the institution of charity, which is a general charity, is supposed to make every member of our society happy, if we only understood that. So people who have wealth and are in the position to give, that's better. Yeah, But if they don't do it properly, they are issues. On the other hand, people who don't have to give, they can't you know, constantly say, I have an excuse not to give. I think they also have the responsibility to rise up and work harder maybe to have more so that they become in the position of giving as well. So the Prophet lived a very simple life and encouraged his followers to do the same. We will all be questioned on the last day about everything which Allah has given us and what we have done. Wealth, health, food, abilities, uh, intelligence, knowledge, whatever it is. And zakat, we have zakat on knowledge. For example, Shaykh Tariq, Allah blessed him with lots of knowledge of Quran, Quranic recitations. So he's trying to teach as many of us as possible and in that way pay zakat for his knowledge that Allah bestowed upon him. And more, of, more, or, more or less all of us in, in one way or another, we also need to pass on the skills that we have acquired to the next generation because if you don't do that then either you are selfish or you don't understand the whole point of having some asset yeah which is precious and valuable so it's not just really the money and physical tangible things it's intellectual property as well which is equally important so we need to be aware of, of all of that so uh, this surah in that way says yes you will surely see it with clear vision then on that day you will be asked about life's pleasures. How did you live your life? And, and, and how did you spend your time and all your uh, assets or your wealth, possessions, whatever came in your possession? Whatever was entrusted to you, I should actually say, that's the best term. So I, I will stop here, inshallah ta'ala, because the next surah, Surah Al-Asr, in itself is, is a mighty chapter. It's very short. Is it the third or second shortest, I think? Second shortest, maybe, or third shortest, but yet so comprehensive and precious and valuable to us. To us. So maybe tomorrow's session I'll just dedicate for Surah Al-Asr. Um, and I'll try to maybe do Surah Al-Ikhlas at least, if not the last three qul uh, on Sunday or tomorrow. I will see, inshallah, ta'ala, with Allah's permission. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us aware of all those beautiful teachings in the Holy Quran. Uh, so that we do what is right and what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also say what is right and what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all of our good deeds, uh, to accept it, that is the key. Sincerity is the key for that. And we pray to him to forgive us our sins and our mistakes and our shortcomings. And perhaps we are so oblivious unaware and maybe we have so many more sins that we think. So we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive all of that, uh, to forgive us. And one more thing, temptations are of two types, obvious and hidden. It's more important actually to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us and save us from subtle tests and subtle trials and temptations than the obvious one. Like when somebody dies in your family, a calamity the biggest you can see but it's more than obvious 
when there is a subtle hidden fitna going around, subjecting you, reflecting you, that is really difficult to, to see and understand. And then we uh, go from one fall to the next, to the next, and it becomes a chain of falls. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us min al-fitani, zahiraha wa batinaha, inshaAllah ta'ala. And we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us a beautiful conclusion to this month of Ramadan, husnul khatima. And if our lives ends in a beautiful way with kalama shahada, with so much sincerity and good praiseworthy traits in our hearts, even if we didn't leave so many houses behind and cars and millions of dollars and pounds in our accounts for our heirs, let it be. So let it be. As long as we go clear heart and pure heart to meet our Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we are truly rich. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم سبحانك اللهم نستغفرك ونتوب إليك ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وزدنا من جودك وفضلك علما وتعليما اللهم أغننا بالعلم وزينا بالخل وزينا بالحلم واكرمنا بالتقوى وجملنا بالعافية يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم ربنا إنا نسألك الصفاء المعرفة والإخلاص في القول والعمل يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم ارزقنا اللهم ارزقنا الشهادة يا رب العالمين اللهم اجعل آخر كلامنا من الدنيا لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله اللهم ربنا برحمتك نستغيث أصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين يا رحيم الرحمن سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسر الفاتحة